Hey, y'all. You're listening to How I Got Here with Drina Whitfield, the podcast that dives deep into the unique journeys of some of the dopest entrepreneurs, business leaders, and personalities I know. I'm your host, Drina Whitfield. I created this podcast to have real, honest conversations about the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. Grab your notebook, sit back, relax, and catch these gems. I'm so excited for today's guest because she is a PR boss. She is fly. And if you're not following her on social media, you really need to because she's serving all the looks all the time. And she's getting the work done. Her name is Sandra LeJoie. And (laughs) she is the vice president of communications at NBC, Bravo, and Oxygen Media. So it's you are a reality show fan. She is behind majority of them that are floating out there. She currently oversees the publicity efforts for NBC's and Bravo's high-profile original programming, including The Voice, The Real Housewives of Potomac, and Project Runway. She's also led the press campaigns for Bravo's first half-hour comedy, Odd Mom Out, and Oxygen's original true crime programs, Aaron Hernandez, Uncovered, and Kim Kardashian West, The Justice Project. Sandra, I am really so excited to have you on today's show just because I feel like you're going to drop a ton of nuggets and gems, and I'm just really intrigued by your personal story. So I'm so excited to have you join today. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here and to do this podcast with you, a fellow publicist diva extraordinaire. So (laughs) (laughs) always happy to chat with my people. (laughs) And it makes me even more happier because you said this is your first podcast interview ever. It so I'm is. truly honored it is. and low-key nervous because I'm like, I want to make sure she has a good experience. Oh, no, nah, you got this. <laughs> <laughs> so I do know a little bit about your story, but I want, I know you're an immigrant from Port-au-Prince, Haiti, where you came to the U.S. as a young girl with your family and you grew up in New York and Massachusetts. But I want to talk a little bit about the American dream. And what did that look like for you and your family? Um, Sure. You know, I did recently uh, this year an op-ed with Essence where I told my story of with my family of coming to from Port-au-Prince, Haiti uh, to America. And then the struggles and challenges that I went through just as a young woman who also has a eye, uh, I'm I'm blind in, in, in one eye. And um, through a devastating accident that happened as a child that, you know, was the catalyst to actually bringing me and my family to America because my mom wanted to find an expert specialist in hopes that she could help me to get my vision back. But also just the turmoil and the craziness that's happening in Haiti. She just wanted to make sure if she could give us the best chance for a better future and a better life as, as most immigrants want. And that's why they leave their country and everything that they love and know to, to come to America. So we did that in, in, in 1985. And uh, with, with my, my mom, my father was already here. He is part of what you would call the diaspora. He had left us years before to come to America and work so that he could send money back to us. So it, it was a, a great reunion to get back and, and be with my mm-hmm. family. But I think you know, I didn't know English. Everything was brand new. And if you've been to Haiti, you know that it is 99.9% Black. So mm-hmm. coming to a country where you're looking at people that don't look anything like you. And, you know, also you come from a country that's free. There's 
been free for a very long time. So racism, slavery, all those things didn't, didn't exist there. So it wasn't part of my story. So it was a, a very challenging for me as a young woman um, navigating that world and, and seeing that people could not like me for the color of my skin, you know, and then also just how hard, like I, I was what, eight years old and kids can be so challenging <laughs> and make things so, yeah. you know, really difficult. So you, it, it, it really, the vibrant girl that I used to be as a child before my accident had been long gone. But I think that also made it really challenging just coming to America and having students not you know I had these big glasses I just looked like a complete as they say little nerdy child we didn't have a lot of money so my clothes weren't like top-notch type of thing so we got teased a lot my brothers and I so it, it definitely put a you know a dynamic where I had to learn to be tough and strong and, and just to navigate the world but also to th- look at myself as not not other, not allow other people to make me feel that way. It took me a long time to figure that out so that I can walk mm. in the space that I'm walking in now and be myself and, and be my full personality with all my glam and dress and nothing. <laughs> you know, it took a long time to get there, to, to be able to walk in the space and to feel that I deserve to be in the space is, is also another big part of it. I love that. I mean, I mean, we're not even five minutes into this podcast, Sandra, and <laughs> it's already inspiring, right? So I know like probably growing up between New York and Massachusetts wasn't easy as well, especially like coming here as a first generation yeah, um, and then attending school. And like you said, kids can be rough. They can Oof, be, you know, <laughs> they are. I worry about my son going uh, to school, yeah. so I already know. But my first question has somewhat become a traditional question for the podcast. Mm -hmm. And I love asking this question because it allows me to, and and our listeners to hear like if where you are today is where you envisioned when you were younger. And that question is just like when you were graduating high school, when you were writing down in in your yearbook, Sandra, where do you see yourself in 10 years? What did you write? Mm. That is a great question, and I wish my memory would not betray me right now, but I honestly can't remember. Ooh, and I do, re- and I have a pretty good memory. I, I'd say I have a good long memory. Uh, short is another issue, but I actually don't remember, and I have my yearbook, so I, I'll have to pull that out and look. But I do know that like where I started is definitely not where I ended. And I think mm. that's a lesson in life in itself, you know, because mm-hmm. you can, it is okay to pivot. It is okay to change directions, but you know, you have to listen to your spirit and know what's right for you and what is it. So I, I went to out of high school. I, I wanted to be a psychiatrist. I've always been drawn to psychology and the mind and how people think. And, you know, I, in, in my friends growing up, I've always been the, the group therapist person. So like always <laughs> listening to everybody's issues and trying to help solve it. So I was gravitating t- towards that. And I was looking to go to a college that offered a really good psychology program. At the same time, I was very challenged because, you know, my parents and I, we, as you said, I, I came from Haiti as an immigrant. We didn't have a lot. And my, my parents came to America with barely a middle school education. So, you know, they, the jobs they were doing were not jobs that were going to allow us to be saving money and for them 
you know, God, my mother is so inspiring to me just because when I look now at me and my, my brothers and to know that she has three kids that have gone to college, graduated, you know, some one with a master's too, like it's phenomenal, phenomenal yeah. for a, a woman, a black woman who comes from nothing to have been able to provide and, and make that kind of space for her children. So you know, she's always taught us to just go after the things that we want. And so I went to, you know, apply for colleges. I I only got a good scholarship program at this college in New Hampshire, which is further away from home and not where I wanted to be, but at least it gave me a good opportunity and they gave me a good financial aid package. So I was there and I just did, I felt that my spirit wasn't where I wanted to be uh, about a year, you know, before the year was out. And I just was very unhappy and I was leaning towards like PR and communications. I, and so I started to think about schools that I wanted to go to. What ultimately did it for me is that there was this, um, it's, it's a beautiful campus and um, they have this huge field in the background. So one day I ended up just taking myself on a walk onto that field and just sitting down crossing my legs, crossing my hands, and just going into prayer. My mm-hmm. mom introduced me to God when I was a child, and she's a woman of faith, and she's instilled that in, in my brothers and I and my sister. And so I just cried on that field. I, I cried about my journey. I cried about everything I've been through. And I just said, God, you have to help me figure this out because I don't feel like this is where I should be. It's not enough. I've always been like, I want more. <laughs> so... Mm-hmm. After that, I, I submitted to colleges that were in Boston that really had good communications programs. And I did get accepted to some really great schools. It was Northeastern, Emerson and BU, but they didn't offer me very much money. And so I wanted to go to Emerson. They offered to give you a year that you could defer your entrance. So I did that and I, I ended up just taking a job and trying to save money. But it was also like my first year in at that college, and, and I go into a little bit about this in the Essence article that I did. But you know, when I was little and had this really bad, devastating accident where I lost my eye, one of the things that the doctors had said is that you know, at some point, your real eye pressure is going to get so bad, it's going to be so painful that you're not going to be able to keep that. You're going to have to take it out and put the prosthetic in and. I know I was so scared as a child. This was all happening at six years old. And my mom was still mm. believing that like she could find a specialist. She could find a doctor that would help me to get my sight back, even though every doctor had already said that's not possible anymore. So I think I was holding on to that <laughs> as well. But by the time I got to my first year in college, one day just going out of class, I started to feel like this pain in my eye. I felt like somebody was poking me with a pencil, like just literally and it crippled me and I just couldn't see and, and it started happening and then I would go away and then it would come back every couple months and it was just getting worse and worse. And so it comes to find out this is what they were talking about, about the pressure. So like I ended up having to go into surgery and, and had to let go and get a prosthetic. And so at that time of healing and then uh, from that surgery, that's when I was also looking to come back to Emerson and start, but they wouldn't, they didn't offer me, they gave me $5,000 and the school was $27,000 a year. Mm-hmm. And my parents were like, girl, good luck with that. <laughs> <'Cause> it, <Right. laughs> nothing we could do for you here. 
And so I made an appointment. I talked to my mom and I was like, I got to go. Maybe I can talk to the financial aid. I mean, I, I, I very much have some of those uh, characteristics of my mother being stubborn and never accepting no for an answer type of thing until I put in a good fight. <laughs> I'm definitely <laughs> into a good fight for something that I want. So I was like, I'm just not going to accept this. And so I went to the financial aid officer and tried to explain to her about like, you know, my parents, like they, they work these jobs, like they don't make that much money at all. They're, you know, have come to this country with basically like, you know, what middle school education or whatever you have to give the opportunities. And we've always been taught that college would be the way that the answer to really opening doors for us. And so this is so important to me and all that. In that midst of it, like she was just like, there's nothing we can do. We've, we've done the best that we can. There's so many students. We're trying to take care of them, you know? And I literally just freaked out. I freaked out and I was just started crying and I was fighting for it. And do you know what I, and, and I say to everybody, like, I do not recommend this, but, <laughs> but I had lost my mind for a quick second. And I just needed her to understand because I had, my parents and I had just paid for, from the insurance for this, for the surgery for the prosthetic. And so I was like, you don't understand. I can't even see. And literally I pull out the prosthetic eye. I put it in my hand. I stick it into her oh face. Like, you don't get it. I need an education. I don't have any more money. Like you need to help me. And I'm like crying. And she's like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. She's like, ma'am, ma'am, can you please put your eyeball back in? Please. <laughs> oh my like, God. It's fine. It's fine. I'm just like, no, I just want to show you like, look what's happening. Look at my life. And it's not this poor woman, <laughs> she was like, oh my God, um, it's okay. It's okay. And I was like, okay, I'll put it back. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I just lost it. And she was like, well, figure something out. I'm so sorry that you went through this and all this stuff. And I'm, now I'm telling her my story. I'm coming, okay. Like I'm just talking about it a minute. And she's like, well, figure something out. We'll try to help you. And a couple months later, I get a letter from them and they basically came up with enough, you know, between grants and scholarships and stuff for me to have to only pay 5,000 as opposed to 22,000. Look at that. And I, yes, look at God. So I, right? I say that to say exactly what my mother said is if you want something, fight for it by any means mm-hmm. necessary, as long as you're not hurting somebody else, you know, or yourself, but like, just don't, a no doesn't always mean no. There are moments in life where it's just a no right now in this moment. But if it's something that you're, you know, your spirit is speaking to, and that's something else also to remember is that we all are connected to our spirit. And my mom would always tell me growing up, uh, uh, going to church that like God whispers and speaks to you. And so that's through your spirit. So if, for me, if not feeling like where I was at that college was where I needed to be, I had to start to listen to that, that voice, that inner voice that was trying to direct me to this path that I am. Um, that I needed to be on that has led me to where I am right now in this very moment, speaking Mm -hmm. to you about it. So listen to your spirit and fight for the things that you want. I love that. I love that. It's like already inspiring. (laughs) Because I mean, that's true. A lot of people get so discouraged when they go to college, especially if the financial aid package, it's not realistic for them, especially if they come from like, like, family situations like yours or they come from single parent homes where they don't have the money to actually attend or pay to pay for their education you gotta like this is a prime example of like you have to fight for without hurting anyone fight Mm -hmm. for what you want 
yeah. to make it happen. Because I think it's easy to get discouraged. I mean, we all know that mm-hmm. there, there's, especially when you're going after your dreams and, and also things sometimes become a lot of work and a lot of challenges to get to where mm-hmm. you want to be type of thing. But it comes down to how, how badly do you want it? How important is it? Because if it's not you, I promise you it's the person behind you that's going to get it because they want it more than you do. So therefore they're going to fight exactly. harder, you know? Exactly. So you got to make that decision, like, especially on an in, in incredible careers, you know, whether it's doctor, lawyer, teacher, like, all of these things, like anything that you're going after, you're not the only person going after it, you know? It, whether right. it's that internship that you're going after, whether it's the actual job, just know that there's a bunch of people behind you that if you drop the ball, will pick that ball back up <laughs> and fight mm-hmm. and get in there. So why not you? Why not you? Exactly. Okay, so you graduate from Emerson with a Bachelor of Science in Broadcast Journalism, mm-hmm. and then you moved to LA after college. So what was your first no. job when you get to... You did it? I... So I started, I wanted to stay in New York because at least I'd be close to my family. And so I started applying for jobs in New York after. Now what, again, life just has a way of just throwing some challenges at me at all times. Then 9-11 happened. Mm. And when 9-11 happened, I mean, when I tell you it was just like crickets, Jobs were gone, you know, I wasn't even hearing from people or anything like that. And I was trying to do fine PR and I was sending things at magazines. I was sending in labels, but you know, it was a huge crisis in the city. Mm-hmm. People were getting, losing jobs and things were just really challenging. And so a couple of college friends of mine who lived in LA and had done the Emerson program, because we did have a semester program that you could be abro- abroad and you could be in LA who were there was like, well, Sandra, you know, LA is not impacted by 9-11 by any means. Like, you know, we're still Mm -hmm. thriving. This is the entertainment mecca. So if you want to do PR, you should move here and really try. And just, you know, and I had started trying to send out resumes too for jobs in LA and was getting nowhere in my, and, you know, I was getting some alumni and friends that were like, no one's going to give you a job from LA if you're in Boston. Like there's plenty of people you know, submitting resumes and coming in for interviews here that need jobs, why would they even take a chance on somebody who's not even here? And so I was hearing that and, you know, I looked at my, just my environment and was like, okay, Sandra, nothing's happening. You know, you could either stay here and keep trying and or whatever, but at the same time, you've got nothing to lose. So I <laughs> went to my mom and I said, I'm moving to LA. She's like, what are you talking about, Sandra? You've never been to LA. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> I was going to say, how did she respond? <laughs> you know, and just like a Haitian mother, she's like, you absolutely not. You've lost your mind. And I was like, I'm done. You told me that I had to give you a college degree and then I could do what I want. So therefore, I'm doing what I want. <laughs> so <laughs> I gave her the degree. And so I was like, and so I remember that whole couple months, she tried to talk me out of it. She had talked to some of my friends and was like, you got to talk some sense into her. Now, mind you, this woman is as stubborn as all hell. <laughs> so <laughs> I get a lot of this from her, but she, she, you know, and she tried to get them on the side and she's like, just, what are you going to do? You've never been. I was like, I'm, I'm just going to give it a try. I'm, I'll just buy a ticket. I'll go. My friend said I could stay with her for a little bit. So I'll, I'll just give it a try. I was like, 
where do I get to lose? Like, I could always come back home. You're here. You're not going anywhere, you know, if anything. So I bought a one-way ticket and to make it one way, one way. (laughs) Now, life lesson, if you're going to go after your dreams, don't go in with a plan B, go with the plan Mm. A and stick to the plan A. So for me, if I bought a round trip ticket, that meant in my mind, I was giving myself a way out and automatically thinking like I was going to fail. Like I'm not going to make it or I'm not going to do this. So therefore I've given myself a way out. So if I bought a one way ticket, I, there was no other option, but to make it work. Yeah. That makes sense. You know, so that's, that's in my mind, that's how I processed it. And so I did that. And then my friends were telling me, you can't be in LA without a car, Sandra. And I know you don't even drive. I'm like, no, I don't even have a driver's license. Oh my God. You went to LA without a driver's license? Oh no, girl. I signed up for driver's ed. (laughs) So again, when you want something, I signed up for driver's ed, took driver's ed, got my license. At the time, my boyfriend was more of a car person. I didn't know anything about cars. So he took me into a dealership. And uh, we found a car that was like, you know, it'll get me to point A and B and it was decent or whatever. And I just had gotten my license and the owner, the dealership was like, so we'll ship it to your house. I was like, no, I'm leaving for LA next week. You could ship it to LA. <laughs> and he's like, you're not going to drive it around. I was like, no, we don't have time for that. So ship the car to LA. The car would get there, you know, two weeks after I got there because we were driving across country. So I come home, I tell my mom, like, you know, I bought this, I got this car and she was like, where is it? I was like, I'm I'm shifted to LA. She's like, this is insanity. All of this. (laughs) (laughs) But I did. And so I packed up my bags. Now my mom who has been fighting with me about this the whole time. It was the day before she calls me into the living room. And, you know, my, my parents both worked like in hospitals and had uh, a cleaning company that they would do a lot of housekeeping. Every dime that my parents put on the table to feed us and take care of us has always been a dime that they had to fight for. And I understood that. Mm-hmm. So my mom was like, you know, I know you, you don't want to listen to me and I get it. This is what you want to do. I prayed on it. I'm praying God will guide you and keep you. And in the midst of it, like, this is all I could do. And she took out her paycheck from that week, signed it over and said, here, I'm giving this to you and, and, and putting a seed into your dreams. And that was it. And then the next day I got on a flight, (laughs) just moved to LA. And um, it was probably the craziest thing I've ever done. It was probably the hardest thing I ever done. And most of my friends who've come from LA, a lot of them stayed for a year or two. I stayed for six years. I had, it took me six months to get that first job. Six months. Oh, wow. What was your first job? I ended up at Warner Brothers. I, when I first got there, I thought I'd been temping all my life every summer. So I thought I could just get temp jobs to get me until Mm -hmm. I could find a full-time job. But you know, LA has a lot of actors and actresses. And so yep. they all take all those temp jobs. So it's really hard to find. And I um, had tried to sign up with agencies and was having a really hard time. So I ended up going to Emerson and going through our alumni connection. 
and met with the head of marketing who was at Warner Brothers at the time and the film division. And she took a meeting with me and I explained to her, you know, we really hit it off. We had a good chat. I showed her my resume and background and I was asking for her expertise. And she was like, you know, you need to get a temp job here because at least when your temp jobs can become permanent. And I said, I've been trying, you know, there's an agency that Warner Brothers on the lot. There was right next door to them across from them called Safarion that I had been trying and couldn't get anywhere. And she's like, well, what do you mean? And she was vice president and she picked up the phone, called them <laughs> right in front of me. It was like, you know, I have this girl here. She's great. And she's already has tempting experience, has done, you know, been executive assistant and presidents and all that. And she, you know, I'd love to put her into the system so that she could be working for us or whatever. And obviously she was a big client for them because all I know is I left that meeting. I remember holding my bag, walking into the parking lot, walking towards my car. My phone was ringing. I'm like trying to grab my phone and I open the car door and I grab it. And they're like, hi, this is blah, blah, blah from Safarian. Is this Sandra? And I was like, wow, how are you? And they're like, oh, we're great. We'd love for you to come in. And, and, and register and work with us. And I was like, excuse me? Because <laughs> I've been literally trying to get this for, for like months. It was three months I had been trying to get into that agency. And, you know, by going into getting some help from somebody who was in the industry. So that lesson right there was about, it's not always about what you know, but who you know. Yeah, you know? exactly. And especially in the entertainment industry. And that was a, mm-hmm. one of the first lessons that I learned there too. It's like, it's great that you know a lot of things, but a lot of times, you know, we need advocates. We need people who who are, who speak for us, who are fighting for us, especially in those big spaces that are so challenging to get into. And so it's very important to network. It's very important as if you're starting out, you know, lean onto your alumni. And also when you get there, remember your experience and your journey and make sure you reach back to somebody else. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So you get the call from the temp agency and do they automatically place you with Warner Brothers? Yeah, they, they, I started working for them and I was temping for Warner Brothers from, for films for a while. And then one day I was temping for TV publicity. And then one day I was temping and, and I was in the current department and I'm talking to the woman there that I was temping for. And she was like, you know, what are you looking to do? And I was like, I really want to do PR. It's been just something and it's been so challenging to find positions. And she's like, really? Because, you know, the head of PR here is looking for an assistant. I was like, oh, what? Wow. <laughs> she's like, yeah, she's been <laughs> interviewing. And I was like, you're kidding me. I remember her name was Julia. And she was like, yeah. Now she's like, you should walk down there and give your resume. And I was like, well, I don't know if I can do that because I've also learned through temping to, especially in Hollywood, that the politics. So mm-hmm. I was afraid of walking up there and, and people just feeling, like, who is she? Thinking she could just walk into my office and drop a resume, you know, type of thing. Because usually the protocol would be like, you go through HR, you submit it through the system and or whatever. But she was like, well, Sandra, I mean, you can tell them I sent you down there, <laughs> you know? And I was like, okay. So I, I walked in to this senior VP of publicity's office. Her assistant, who later becomes one of my good friends, Holly, was getting promoted. And so she was, um, whoever would be coming on would be taking her job. 
And she, you know, I came in and I said to her, like, you know, I'm tipping down the hall with Julia and Current. And she told me about this executive assistant opportunity. I'd really love to submit my resume. She was like, well, that's great. But she's on the final stages of the interview process. She's now just looking at new candidates that are coming, like candidates that she's already interviewed. She's bringing them for that final round or whatever. And I, I started talking to her and just telling her about moving to LA and my one writing and just coming in. I was like, this is everything I've wanted and I've given it everything I've got, you know, and all that stuff. And until this day, and I've asked Holly a few times, like, you know, what compelled you that day to even listen to me? And the last time we talked about it, she was just like, you just had this fighting spirit. And so I, in my mind, I was just like, all I could do is give her a shot. Like the rest is on her, you know, type of thing. So I still don't remember what I said to convince her, but she literally took my resume and she's like, she's, she's going to kill me for this, but okay, I'm putting you on the schedule. You're at 3 p.m. tomorrow. Show up, be ready. I was like, oh my God. Okay. And so I was at the time, because what I didn't tell you from before is that the friend that told me I could come stay with her in LA for a while, after like a week told me I had to leave because she realized she couldn't have anybody in her space. And so I had no place to go. (laughs) So I was literally kicked down the streets. I was like, I don't know anybody. Like, I only know like you and two other people. So I was at that time freaking out because I had no place to go. And I was temping. And do you know one of the, and then again, how God works. One of the girls that I was temping for, for with for a couple of weeks, we she she we just became friends, and she was like, "Well, this is terrible." And she's like, "Look, I don't have much. I have a studio. That's all I got. But I do. There's a pull out couch, and you're welcome to use it." And that's what I did. So I was on a stranger's couch, going into this, staying with her for this temp job. And that night, I literally just had to do what you would have, you know, taking time to do your homework. I'm sitting here using her computer researching the Warner Brothers TV and what shows they have and the executives and everything, just prepping myself and trying to get my mind right. I didn't even sleep that night. And, you know, I go in, I put in the suit the next day and always, you know, remembering what my mom told me, like, you want a job, like, look like this, the job that you want, represent yourself to the Mm -hmm. best of your ability. So I got myself my little blue suit and walked in there at 3 PM for my interview And I'll never forget that interview (laughs) because one, she was just like, Hollywood's been really impressed because I, I, I I was already speaking to people. I got it. And she was like, I have a new person at 3 PM. I was like, what? And (laughs) and stuff. And we started talking. I remember we were having this really good conversation in the corner of my eye. I see something furry move. And she had a beautiful office with this big window because she was on the first floor on the ground. And I see something and I look over and I see cats. And these cats are like eating food at the, by the window. And I was like, oh, you, you have cats on the lot? Like, she's like, oh, yeah, there's lots of cats on the lot. I'm a big animal lover. And so I make sure I buy food for them and make sure I put food out for them in the mornings and at night and, you know, work with the there was an animal service that was on the lot or whatever. And I was like, oh, okay. And she's like, so, you know, as part of your job, when um, I'm not here, I expect that my assistant will be able to put the food out and the water and feed the cats, and, you know, whether in the morning or at night. And I was like, what? <laughs> I'm like, you know, executive assistant, I'm thinking, you know, coffee, I'm going to have to make coffee, make coffees. I get that. 
But cats, that's a whole new other ballgame. <laughs> and so she was like, do you like cats? And then I kept like, in my mind, I flashed back to the story, like when I was younger and I had a cat for a little while, but my sister was a baby and just was a terror and would terrorize that cat and throw it across the room. So one day the cat <laughs> ran away. Oh no. And I just kept thinking like, oh my God, that experience. And so I'm going, I was like, yes, I love cats. They're great. <laughs> Like, I'll feed the cats for the job and talk, you know? And she was, she was like, you you seem great. I just, I'm really hesitant in hiring somebody who just came to LA. People come here and they just, they, you know, they decide it's not for them or whatever. And I was like, I'm telling you, I bought a one-way ticket. I've never even visited here before. If I didn't, if I, if you knew who the type of person I am, you would know that if I'm not committed to this, I wouldn't have done this. I'm like, I've left my family. I, I'm committed to it. And I was like, so if you need me to sign something, like I could like, do it in blood <laughs> if you like, like, you know, like just poke, do a little poke and I could sign it in blood and I can commit. Like, How long do you need me to commit to? And she was like, I need somebody at least for two years. I was like, I can do that. Where do you want me to sign? And she's like, it's not necessary, Sandra. I get it. <laughs> and so at that interview and I went back. And, you know, I had prayed before, I prayed after, and I just let it go. And I remember I was back temping at a, a job, and I got a call at 5 o'clock from HR. And the girl's like, hi, um, is this Sandra? And I was like, yeah. And she's like, hey, you know, it's blah, blah, blah from HR and, and TV publicity. And I was like, yeah. And she's like, did you meet with Sharia Magnuson? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, wait how did you even get into the interview? And I said, oh, I was temping with Julia's office and she told me about it and said to walk down and give a resume. And she was like, okay, because you know, the protocol usually is that you would go through us, we'd vet. And, and I said, yeah, I did ask about that, but Julia told me it was okay. And, uh, and she's like, well, wow, that might, that's a very impressive because she wants to offer you the job. I literally oh, wow. froze. I looked at the clock and I was seeing it was like five o'clock end of the day. And I'm thinking like, it all was coming to me in that moment. If, if you have to think about it, like moving to LA, not knowing anybody in the moment, somebody told me there's an opportunity, go down there and give your resume. And I could have made the decision of like, Oh no, the protocols and all this, but I took a chance. I did it anyways. I was put at 3 PM for a job, but she was already just interviewing the final candidates to pick whichever two. And then right. at five o'clock, I got told that she wanted to offer me the job. When I tell you God is good, and if you mm-hmm. can't gather and grasp what that means, like at 5 p.m. from an interview that day that I did at three, that I didn't even do the process, that all these other people had already submitted, done their whole things, understand that what God has for you, no one can take from you. Mm. And so I started to cry and I was on the phone. And I'm like, really? Like, are you sure? And she was like, are you all right? I was like, I'm sorry. It's just been so much. I was like, I've been through hell and back for these past six months. I get, you know, and that started my journey in, in PR. Wow. I mean, the fact that like God has just placed angels along your path oh, to help uh, guide you. From like even the financial aid officer to the Julie to Holly and to now like to getting you to this 
point is just amazing. Yeah. So like, so how long were you working for Warner Brothers and how long did it take you to move from executive assistant to publicist? I was an executive assistant for two, two and a half years. Okay. I had started and some of the colleagues had started around that time too. We had like an intern and um, had another assistant. And so it, it, it's definitely one of those places where when once people get in there, they never leave. So it's very mm-hmm. hard for promotions because there's a, it's, it's about like one person has to leave or, or get promoted so that other people can and stuff. But you, there's some lifers in that joint. So <laughs> it took a while. It was two, two and a half years. And then I was given one of my colleagues got promoted who was an assistant to two publicists. And so, and then don't get me wrong. I, I actually also, in those two and a half years, I actually had gone to her before that and asked about being promoted to, because I understood I was an executive assistant to the senior VP who was running the department. So it's very mm-hmm. heavy administrative and I wasn't doing as much PR show stuff. And I wanted, I knew that the, the only way to get that experience is to be working for the publicist and being a, a publicist to sit. So I had asked her, I think probably a year and a half into it, when there was an opportunity, I was like, mm, is it possible, you know, to get promoted, uh, to be an assistant and, and really work on shows and do all that. And I remember that conversation with her and she had said to me, like, I just don't think you're ready yet for it. And I was like, mm. well, what do you mean? <laughs> you know, like, I've been doing this job and da, da, da. And, you know, she gave me feedback on things that I needed to work on and critiquing as well she should too on, on things. But there were certain things that also was, I think, like there was things where, you know, me navigating the industry, I think I was probably a little bit more reserved for me personally. I remember one of the things that I used to do, and, and I, I actually want to speak on this, is I used to go into staff meetings with everybody and I would sit on the outside or sit away there would be a head table and everybody would sit, all the publicists would sit at the table and then there would be extra seating. So like some of the assistants or whatever could sit there too, but I would sit on the outskirts Mm. and I would do that because I thought like my place was to be, you know, more behind the scenes and silent because I did grow up in an old fashioned household of like children should be seen and not heard (laughs) type of thing. And so I, I, I didn't put it in my mindset to sit at that table. It didn't occur to me what I was doing at that time. But later on, when I reflect back on it, I realized like I should have never put myself on the outskirts on those chairs that was on the side. I should have looked at myself and believed in myself enough to see that I deserve to sit at this table with everybody else. I am, you know, I am the executive assistant to the, senior vice president, I'm here, I'm taking notes, I'm doing things. But I thought that because I was more of a job of service that and not a publicist that I shouldn't, but even though there was assistance that sat on the table or whatever. And so it's one of those things that I started to learn about myself that I was like, okay, but why are you doing that? Why mm. do you not believe and see yourself enough that you deserve to be sitting at this table as well as anybody else? You know, and it took me a while to, to get into that mindset of not doing things like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so there was, there was a couple things that, you know, she, she would say to me, like, you know, when, when somebody calls and you take a message, you know, you should double check the phone number and the email and make sure you have the correct information. I wouldn't do that because I'd be so afraid on the, the other person on the other line. Even if I didn't hear it correctly, I would write it down and I'd be like, 
it's an executive. It's another person. I don't want them to feel like I, you know, like I didn't pay attention the first time and whatever. I'd be so nervous. And then I had to learn that like, then she would come in and she'd be trying to call this person or email that information would be wrong. And I'm sending her back, (laughs) you know, and my job is to make, you know, and I say this to all of our interns and assistants that come in for interviews. I say, if you walk away and learn anything from me for this interview, just know that when you start in this career as an assistant to somebody in, in any capacity, your job is to make their job as easy as possible. Mm-hmm. You should always stay two steps ahead of your boss. You know, mm-hmm. know their needs, anticipate it, and then make sure that, you know, whether it's, you know, when they come in in the morning, the first thing that they want is their messages and maybe it's a coffee you make sure that's there and ready the minute they walk in the door. You would be amazed how much feedback and how things would work differently once that person gets to that level of comfort of knowing I'm in a space where I'm taking care of. So I don't have to worry about this because Sandra's got it. Yeah. Trina's got it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I know that the person that I'm trusting with all this information and things that I need has got it. So therefore, whenever I walk into the space, I'm disarmed because I'm in a comfortable space. And I think that's very important for anybody starting out their career and starting in those jobs to always remember that like your job, your job is to stay two steps ahead of your boss and to make as much possible, as easy as possible for them so that the little things they don't need to be worried about, you know, exactly. that yeah. type of thing. And so, you know, I had to learn those things. I had to perfect my, the, the, the craft. The, and she said something to me that I never thought, forgot is she was like, if I promote you now and you fail, then I fail. Mm-hmm. you know and I I had to learn that and take that in now as a leader now that I have people that report to me how important that is that it wasn't just about you know you failing but also I failed you if I've set you up to lose yeah so it's very important that you know as you navigate the space as a leader and you have people that are that you manage is to keep that thought in process too that as much as it is their job to be two steps and make things easier for you, it's also your job to make sure that you're setting them to win. And so as much as I was frustrated and hurt when she said it, and there was other things, um, there was a situation with my eye that was bothersome to me. And, and, but I think it was just things that people didn't, people didn't know. Uh, and I didn't, I never talked about my eye. That was my biggest thing. I did not want, you know, as you know, the entertainment industry is very challenging people who have a certain aesthetic, a look, people can be very pretentious. You just, you know, it's, it's a very (laughs) like in your face, what do you look like type of thing industry and stuff like that. So I tried to keep that as secret as I could. I actually used to wear glasses even at that time. I remember wearing glasses at that interview because I, the glasses keep people from seeing anything. Mm. It might be off a little bit. So I would use that as a tactic whenever I'm going into something brand new is that, so I would wear glasses and I didn't, talk to her or tell her about that because I, 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 I never want anybody to think that I'm not capable of doing a job like anybody else. So right. to me, I've always been very sensitive of that. Of like, you know, when I went to get my driver's license, you know, I had the opportunity to also get so that I could get the handicapped. Mm-hmm. Now I regret that I didn't do that because now I realize I would have had parking in front of buildings <laughs> and had no issues. <laughs> but I 
being stubborn literally was like, no, I refuse. And so when I took the test, I was doing this tricky thing that you weren't supposed to do and pushing, like looking into the lens and trying to make it look so that I could look with my other eye so that I could pass my test. Oh my so that God. I, they would not stamp handicap on my driver's license. And I regret that so much. But even then I was just feisty about it. I was just like, I need you to see Sandra LaJoy in all of her glory and not see any limitations or not think that she's not capable. So I I kept that, you know, and I think some people had complained to her that I was rude or that I wasn't friendly because I didn't wave at them when they would wave at me or call my name. And it was the first time in that meeting that I had to confide in her and say like, but what do you talk like? What was exactly? Because I didn't know what they were talking about. I was like, "What? What? When did that happen?" You know? She's like, yeah. "I don't know." Some people might, I think, waved at you and called your name, and then it clicked in that moment. And I was like, "Do you? Do you think maybe they, when they did that, they were doing it from my, the the right side of my face?" And she's like, "What do you mean?" And then I remember in that moment, I took my arm. And moved it up and down from the right side of my face, looking at her. And I said, do you see what I'm doing right now? I can't even see that. And I can't see that because I'm completely blind in my right eye. So if you're waving at me or if a car is coming at me, I wouldn't even see it coming. I have to turn wow. my whole body to see that. And so, so somebody from a distance is coming and thinking that I'm being rude. And the way I was sitting at the desk in front when you would walk into her office, the computer uh-huh. was in front, but it was to my, the, you know, the entrance was to my right so if I'm typing in the computer uh, you wouldn't you see that I wouldn't see that if you don't cough or say hello and, and you know it's not me being disrespectful and not saying hello to you first I just didn't see you yeah you know and I had to it was the hardest thing for me to have to confide and just put that out there because I was so afraid that she would look at me different think different and, and she was very warm about it. it's like oh my god I didn't even know and she's Maybe we can get a mirror and put it up there for you so that you could see, pe- reflect and see people on the other side, you know, all that stuff. And I was like, no, 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 no. I'm, I'll just be more careful. I'll be more conscious of it or whatever. But, you know, there, there was that, that was one thing, but also the things about building my skill set and getting better at other things that I needed to get better at that finally, you know, I worked on. And so when that next opportunity came for a promotion, she gave it to me. You know, I, I took in all the feedback and I was like, okay, these are the things you have to work on. And so I did. And, and got promoted to publicist and um, junior publicist at that point, because we were in a union. And when I was doing the junior publicist, I also had to still be a work with two, two other publicists. I was still being an assistant to them, but also managing my own shows. And even mm-hmm. though, and at that time too, what I was trying to fight for is opportunity to show that I was capable of being a great publicist. And that's something right. I think people should think about too in, in the working field. Sometimes you got to look for opportunities. You got to make your own opportunities. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, I was doing like the things that I needed to do, but I also would raise my hands whenever there were some things, but always looking for an opportunity. And I remember I was working on the this big show, um, The OC, which was really popular on Fox that everybody loved. And we had a new member of that cast and they were trying to break out the cast they had some meetings and they're like, how do we do it? What should we do? And I came in and was like, well, you know, fashion week is coming up in New York and the show is shot in LA. And I was like, you know, why don't we try to get her out there, get her with some designers, get her front row, have her do some press, you know, she's due. And there was an idea I came up with and they're like, oh, you know, who has the bandwidth for that? I was already exhausted. And my mom was, I was like, I'll do it. 
because I thought it was an opportunity for me to show them what I was capable of. I didn't know what I was taking mm-hmm. on at the moment. I literally lost my mind. There was so much going on. <laughs> but I was like, I already raised my hand like an idiot. So I'm making calls. I, I didn't even know where to begin. So I started to reach out to other publicists' assistants who I've known for with other agencies who I've been working with and being like, hey, when your client goes to New York for Fashion Week, how do you get them on shows? I didn't, because I didn't know. But you know, yeah. you, 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 I had to just make some calls, try to figure it out. And that's the thing, like there's, you don't know what you don't know, but you gotta yeah. be resourceful. And so I, you know, I was tapping into my community, tapping into the other assistants, asking questions, find out that there's a list going on with all the designers and their PR contacts. And then I started, got that list and started cold pitching her and, you know, creating a whole thing and ended up creating a whole press tour for her, got her not only on the front row at shows, but also had the designers dress her for it. And so it became a big thing and I got press. And so in the end, when I put this itinerary and did it, that's what helped for me to get my promotion. Because it was Love like, it. she figured this out, you know, and, and, and raised her hand and really took it to the next level and, and developed a whole strategy around how to help get this new um, talent on the show out there. And that wasn't something that was just given to me. I saw it and was seeking for it. And I think that's really important, too, as you're navigating the space and trying. Sometimes things don't come at you very easily or they're not necessarily right there, but sometimes you just have to make your own opportunities. Right. And don't be afraid to speak up. hundred percent. You know, it's, it's that saying closed mouths don't get fed. Yeah, exactly. Where would you say you struggled the most in the PR and comms field? Hmm. Outside of like early on where you were like, were you like, I really need to focus on building, boosting up my own self-confidence. But like, once you got in and you got into a groove, was there still an area that you struggled with in terms of PR and working with clients? I think, I mean, I've been very fortunate. The one thing I have to say is when I, after I left LA, I moved to New York and I moved to work at a PR agency. I was trying to just get myself to New, to New York. And mm-hmm. so the only opportunity that came for me was this agency that was looking for somebody that basically worked with my um, WB counterparts and they had Tyra Banks and um, they represented her and all of her um, brands, but also just had brands and did some entertainment. And so I, I took that opportunity because one, it would get me to, it was a stepping stone to get me to New York. I've never done agency work before. I've been six years, you know, at a, at a studio. And so probably of all the most challenging of my careers, that would be those two years, just because being in-house and out-of-house is two different things. <laughs> you know, at an agency, you you're there's a client that's paying you a retainer and you have got to deliver whatever that, what that retainer is. Like you've got to figure out they're expecting results. And so when you're in studio, you're working on a show, you're doing it at your pace, you know, you're, you're, you're delivering for your shows. Don't get me wrong, but it's different when somebody's paying you five, $10,000 a month <laughs> type of thing. Yep. And you, you know, and they have expectations and, and yep. stuff. And sometimes they have expectations that are way bigger than they should. <laughs> and I'm like, exactly. <laughs> listen, I know. <laughs> I know you do. Like, it's like, no, and you, people don't know you like that. You're not that big. You don't have that kind of, <laughs> you know, there's all kinds of that craziness. And so you're like, 
okay, you're trying to manage that expectation of that client. And that was really challenging for me because I'm so used to being, you know, I'm at Warner Brothers, I'm emailing this person, I'm getting things here for this and I'm securing this press or whatever. And there's talent that people really want to speak to and, and, and interview. So it's a little you know, it, it was a little easier for sure. And I, it's a pace too. And one of the things about it is I'm in those meetings. So when we're from, from beginning, from when you get the script and you've read it and then they started shooting it and then you're on set and do, you're in it. But when you're at an agency, you're an extension of a brand. So you're not in-house. So you're not necessarily part of the big marketing strategy plan that they have. A lot of times They've done all of that work and then they just give you, here's the press release, here's the bio, now go and pitch, Mm. you know, type of thing. And it was very hard for me to do that transition of not being owning my shows or owning everything from the very beginning, from the ground down to up type of thing Yeah, because because of that. So I would say for me, that was one of those things where I was learning, ooh, I'm I'm definitely an in-house person. This like, like, mm mm-mm. I can't. Yeah. And I realize it's not for everybody. And I know, and here's the thing though, but I always say to our, when we have the girls coming in for internships and they're going to go and start applying for jobs, I say, go to an agency. You will learn so much more. There'll be so much thrown at you. It'll really push you. And so I highly always recommend that as a start. It's just, sometimes can be challenging if you didn't to go from in studio or in network to agency. Now the other way around is a lot easier actually, you know? So I do always recommend that to people of like, if you're looking for a place to start, if you're looking for where you're going to learn a lot and also truth be told, you'll probably grow faster too, in terms of opportunity. There's so much more. I have a lot of friends that are in agency and they built, they're so young and they've gotten promotions on promotions because there was more room and more space. uh, And they're handling and taking on so many different clients and doing different things that I do think that that also helps you to grow faster too. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, working in an agency, like it's all about client relations and managing expectations, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And learning not to like internalize things, especially because the clients can sometimes be kind of nasty. And just learning not just to take that on surface level, surface level and not take it on personally. And that's one thing that I have to try to like relay to my team time and time again, because, you know, unfortunately... Like you said, clients pay a retainer. They have these unrealistic expectations at times mm-hmm. and you and you have to deliver. And, and a lot of times they take out their frustrations on you. So yeah, it's a, it can be a lot. <laughs> yeah. And, it, and you have to learn to manage that and, and, and understand that. It's just a different dynamic mm-hmm. and it's not for everybody. Everybody's different. But I, I do think for me, as I was navigating and and I love that I I can now look back and say, okay, I've worked at a studio, I've worked at a network, I've worked at an agency. It's made me better for it and understand the different clientele and how to be resourceful. Because when I was at an agency, you know, I I, I started out two weeks into it. I went into when I moved from LA and came to the agency. I promise you, it was week two, not even. I went into the bathroom and was like. <sighs> and stuff and I was like well girl you've already paid the ticket you moved it so you gotta just make it work and so again just did a prayer and went back but you know I had these 
it afforded me the opportunity to work with Iman and worked on Iman Cosmetics, which was a brand that I was my first makeup brand growing up. So it afforded me that. And then I became really resourceful. And I actually went to my um, supervisor and was like, honestly, I really want to go back and network. I, I, I love working on TV and that's been my bread and butter. And that's my, you know, that's where my comfort zone is. And they had a little of it, but not too much. And at the time I was working a lot on a lot of celebrity fragrance brands. So I had done launches for Mariah Carey, Britney Spears, all of their fragrances for Elizabeth Arden. Those were my main brands that I worked with along with Iman Cosmetics. And, you know, a lot of it was very much doing the same things I was doing when I was at Warner Brothers in terms of doing with TV. Like there's, they, they all had to do talk shows, appearances. We had to get things in magazines to, for people to know about the new fragrances. So I was still pitching long leads and short leads and all that stuff. So I proved to be an asset to the agency. So when I went to tell her that I really think it was time for me to start to look elsewhere, she literally said, you know, what would it take for you to stay? Mm. And I was just like, honestly, I just, I just want to go back into TV. That's all. And she's like, okay, then what about you start your own TV, TV division here? And I was like, say what? <laughs> you know, wow. and she literally gave me that opportunity. She's like, yeah. She's like, now that means, you know, we'll get a couple girls from the teams that work with you. We'll have to go after clients, which is not my strong suit and my thing. I am not, that's never been my thing, <laughs> but she's like, you know, we have to build it. But I think that, you know, you, you have the expertise, you have the experience, you have the relationships if this is what you want, we don't want to lose you. So let's do that. And so I was able wow. to start working with a colleague of mine and really, and, and I did, I tapped into all my resources from when I was in LA and set up meetings for them to meet with, you know, Warner brothers with ABC and, and, and CBS and all these guys that, I, you know, had shows on or whatever. And then really helped to build that TV division. We had a small team, but that also was an opportunity that came from me just Coming in every day is, and we're talking about, you know, I came in and wanted to cry and wanted to leave. And this was like, but this is the bed you made. So therefore we're going to lay in it (laughs) (laughs) and stuff. And so I remember my colleague, she was very good at going into clients and, and that was not my thing. Me going and pitching a client, trying to get them. I was like, I can do the work. That's not my thing, but I will do, you know, so I would go to the meetings and I'd speak up when I needed to, but they definitely used me for what my expertise was, you know, mm-hmm. which is strategy and 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 working on um, development of the brands and all that stuff. But it was a great opportunity, and I did it, and I and I built that brand, and we got some great clients through it or whatever. But still, my heart again back to my spirit of just saying to me like, I want to be really working. I was doing some unscripted, but I was like, I really want to go back to being a network, and so I cold emailed the heads of publicity for at NBC for all the different properties. So it was like I had emailed the head of NBC publicity Bravo at Sci-Fi USA and Oxygen. Cold emailed and I did it through talking to one of the the VPs of of at NBC at the time. She was like, you know, there's not that many opportunities right now in network. Cable is doing so much better you should try reaching out to them and just at least for an informational so you can get on their radar. And I was like, I love it. You know, you think that'll work? And she was like, yeah. She's like, you could say that I recommended you contact them. And I emailed all four of them 
like an email said that, you know, a colleague had recommended, told them who it was and all that. Did not hear from anybody. And I got really discouraged because I was like, oh, wow, like not one person. And then I followed up again, (laughs) you know, didn't hear. It wasn't until like, I think another two weeks later, I followed up. It was on the third follow-up that now everybody, and not realizing at the time, they were, it was upfront, they were crazy and everybody was so busy and they were like, it's just been so insane. I'm so sorry, blah, blah, blah. Let me loop in my assistant who can coordinate a time. And so I ended up going for informationals and meeting all of them. And through that, through one of those meetings, it was the, at the time, the senior VP of Bravo was also doing oxygen and said to me, you know, I think there might be an opportunity in oxygen coming down the pipe. Send me your resume, keep in touch with me. And I kept doing that um, after our coffee. And, but also what I did is something else my friend had said to me is after you do these information, you meet people, make sure you stay in contact. And when you stay in contact, make sure you do your homework. So like if there was a press release that announced like a new show pickup or they had some great ratings on something, I would send a quick email and be like, heard, you know, read the reports. The ratings was great last night. Congratulations. Or if I, you know, oh, I saw that you just did this deal and Paris Hilton's coming back to TV. Congratulations. It's going to be so exciting. Like just making sure that you are up to par with what's happening in the industry you know, and specifically for for them. And so when you're following up, it's not just because me, 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 what I want. It's just a blanket high. Congratulations on this, on last night's ratings. Like, you know, and so that they know that you're this place that you're saying that you want to be in, you also are following it and you know what's happening in it. And I think that that really helped because then it came to a call that I got from her and like, hey, it's been months since our chat. We checked in. Oh, Oxygen has an opening right now for a manager. Send me your resume. And I did and got the interview and, and got the job. And that started wow. my, my journey into working at NBC. Walk us through a day in the life of the VP of comms for NBC Bravo and Oxygen Media. Like, what does that look like for you? <sighs> it looks like a lot of meetings. <laughs> 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 we become a lot of meetings. It's so funny. I used to look at executives and say, you know, you know they're always in a call, always in a meeting. And I'm a creative. I, I like to be in it and, you know, mm-hmm. pitching and coming up. So what I'm now having to learn is how to be more of an overseer and navigate yeah. that because I have people that report to me, they're in it. And I'm basically imparting my experience and expertise and helping guide them through it. Now I still have shows I'm also very much the lead on, such as working on The Voice in Real House of the Potomac, but I do have a team that works on various shows that I help support them and what the, and their needs are. So there's a lot of big, more strategy, bigger meetings in terms of those types of things that I, I find myself in, in, in a lot, you know, in, in terms of discussions. But then there's also the things that are, you know, the nitty gritty. I'm still pitching. I'm still trying to make things happen for, you know, whether it's trying to pitch an appearance on Today's Show or, you know, on Jimmy Fallon, I'm still doing that too. I'm still pitching out the short leads and long leads as well. And, you know, and it's your hands are, is, are, is in very many pots, <laughs> right. as an, you know, type of thing. I think it's just learning now how to navigate of, okay, how do I delegate, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, 
And also when I'm delegating, making sure that I'm taking care of this team and they feel supported and they feel heard and and making sure that they're getting what they need so that I'm setting them up for success. Mm -hmm. Working with the talent that you work with underneath the Bravo umbrella specifically was like the Real Housewives franchises. How much of your job during that time, because I know you're a little bit more hands-off now, was around putting out fires? I mean, I think that NPR automatically, that just comes with it. You know, it's there, there's just, you know, whether it's shows or it's working with a brand, you know, at some point there's always going to be some kind of crisis. And when you do work in reality, I think that's just a given (laughs) that there'll be crises with the unscripted in reality. So that, that comes with the game. Sometimes, Situations are bigger than others <laughs> and mm-hmm. warrant, you know, a little bit more handholding and have, you know, to navigate and sometimes they're not. But I think that anybody that decides I want to be in reality TV in that business or unscripted, you just know automatically it's going to come with some crisis at some point or another. But also just in general, if you're going to be, at, you know, I was like I said, I was in an agency. We had crises there, too. So, you know, there's no yeah. way around it. I think it just comes with it. And then I think as you grow into it, you get better with it. And some people are experts. I have quite a few people that I know that like when it, they are at their prime when they're in crisis mode, you know, it's, just, <laughs> it's, it's just their energy and they're there. They get it and they know how to navigate. And it's just like somebody hit the push button for them or whatever. And then there's others who are like, Ooh, last thing I want to deal with, you know? So yeah. And stuff. And I, I, I mean, I've been at an agency too, where sometimes you have to help, that brand get an, a crisis specialist and say, okay, this is not my forte. And you have to also understand that when it's not your forte, this is not your yeah. experience of knowledge, your job too, as you, as you rep that brand is to give that advice of saying, okay, this is not where our expertise lies, but let me find you somebody where that could help you navigate this and, mm-hmm. and, and, and lend that kind of guidance into it too. Right. Exactly. Um, you've been in this industry for a minute. So what do you think of the PR landscape now in like the current social media era? Like mm. what role do you feel like social media plays in a PR strategy? I think that you, it's a big part of it. It's the way of the world now, mm-hmm. you know, like there's no way around not having a social media campaign for a launch for anything. I think that's, especially if you're targeting this younger demo, you know that that's where they're at. So depending on where, if you're looking at the scope of the brand that you're in or the show that you're on and you're like, what is my target audience? It's always a big question. And where do I find them? And if I'm going out to the same audience that, you know, watches this show, whatever, that's one thing. But if I'm trying to go into that white space, where are they and how do I get them there? And sometimes that requires a big social push. So I think that any business as they operate and as they're moving in this landscape at this present time, if they do not put some kind of social media aspect to any campaigns, they're putting themselves at a disservice, you know, Mm. and, and it's the same for Christ. That's how a lot of crises is got out of control is because of social media. You know, we, we live in this world now where somebody can easily tweet something that people take offense. And all of a sudden we're, you know, it spirals and there's like from one person to another. And then there's video that people could put up because now people have their camera phones everywhere they go. So if you decided to lose your mind and yell at somebody, somebody caught it 
So there, you know, it's just, it's just the world that we're living in. And I think we have had to all adapt to that. Now you can have a great mm-hmm. time and really use it as a tool, as a resource and make it fun. You know, and now there's the world of influencers has become such a huge part of, you know, marketing and PR when you're going into campaigns and, 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 and using that aspect. So I do think you can't, sh- the world will change. It's just the way that it is. So you have to, as you elevate and grow, you have to know how to shift with it or you get lost. Right. Exactly. Exactly. What do you feel is one of the biggest misconceptions of being a publicist? Mm. well when I first started it was this whole thing of like when you walked in and it was like the publicist had to look a certain part we would always make those jokes and my mom was a big advocate of I remember I was it was my one of my first red carpets and I uh, was standing behind talent and she saw I think it was an extra interview and Mm -hmm. I just wore black because that's what I was told to wear black (laughs) And my mom saw it and it was like a big red carpet. And she was like, what were you wearing? You know? And I was like, oh, just some black dress and flats. And she's like, why? Everybody else was so dressed up. <laughs> Which was like, well, they're, they're all talent, mom. <laughs> you know? And she's like, and so you're going to not dress a certain way just because they're talent. She's like, you're not talent. She's like, aren't you out there too? And she's like, uh-huh. You know, she's like, I raised you better than that. You don't walk into any room and you're not up to par to everybody else. So ever, ever downgrade yourself. And so, you know, she's like, you're a publicist. You're representing the show. You're representing the brand. So you should look like an extension of that brand. And this is somebody who doesn't even know any of that. Well, she was just saying to me, like, don't go in there looking like a hot mess. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, even when you're in the background, you're in the foreground. You know what I mean? People still will see you. I'm watching you on extra. So I, you know, so I learned that lesson from her. So I seriously moving forward, I would little get myself all gowned up (laughs) (laughs) and everybody would make fun of me, my work and be like, why are you like, we just did the comfortable. We didn't do the heels and whatever. And they would just, oh, all my team members would make fun of me. I was like, I can't, I can't be seen and have this woman call me one more time. <laughs> <laughs> I love so, it. Because we, it's so ingrained for, to like, for publicists just to be like an all black, be behind the scenes. It's yeah. not about us. It's about the the, the talent. So yeah. like, a, what's the easiest thing to throw on is some black. But now you, you be out here showing up. I love it. I mean, you know what? It took me a while because I once got in a situation where I was being told that I was being too much, you know, that oh. you know, dressed up too much and who, who am I trying to impress? Why am I you know, trying to look like I'm talent type of thing and got that feedback. No, from a and boss? It, from somebody yeah. who worked with? And it really, it messed with me. It messed with me for a while. And I was yeah. trying to navigate that because I was struggling with like, but I was, you know, trying to be representative you know, I, when I walk into your room, I want to make sure that, especially if you're working with a client or anything, I think that a lot of times their mindset too is looking at you like, well, look at her professional yeah. put together. I'm going yeah. to trust what she's saying. Like whatever she's guiding me into, whatever she's directing me into, she looks the part, like she's represented. It doesn't look like a hot mess. <laughs> you know, she doesn't look like she doesn't have her stuff together. It's a mind frame. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like you put some, you come in and you, whether it's in a dress or a business suit, whatever that meeting is, 
you have to remember the first thing people do is instantly as human beings is visual. So when you walk into it, the first thing I see is you. I don't know anything about you. I haven't met you. You haven't even said your name yet, but I've looked at you up and down and saw what you, what you wear and how you look. So Mm -hmm. how you look is like your passport. It's just, it's the first representation of you to that person. And it could either disarm them or it could make them nervous. So you have to always think about that going into a room, into a meeting or anything like that. It's like, how do I want that person's first instinct, the first sight that they see in me? How do I want it to reflect in their minds? So if I walk into, you know, a party with with talent and I'm dressed like they are, it eases them where they're just like, you know, I'm mm-hmm. this is my rep and she looks gorgeous. She's dressed up just as I'm dressed up. And so I'm not worried about people looking at me and thinking like, well, who's these people that you have here representing you and they don't have their stuff together? Like, how am I taking you seriously if you're not taking yourself seriously? Yeah, very true. And those are things to think about. So I I try to navigate and and I know I've always, like I said, I, I started out in the world with a big personality. I had an accident that really took me for a spiral. And I started to work back on myself and realize that for such a long time, I've been diminishing myself mm-hmm. to make other people feel better. Why? You know, and I was, you know, on Clubhouse during the pandemic. I remember I was on a, uh, listening to Boz from Netflix and there was a conversation because she's such an amazing, talented woman and such a personality. And that question came up about, when you are navigating in a space and I had raised that question about, you know, what if you're in a job and they, they think that you're trying to be like talent because you have such a big personality or because you dress a certain way and that's an issue for them or concern or whatever. And she said something to me and she said, but Sandra, you are talent. Mm. There are people who are going around and trying Mm -hmm. to get people like you in their space they want somebody that has your skill set, your mindset, your experience. You are talent to that brand, to that business that they're putting in place. Now, yes, you're not talent like the actors or whatever. It's different type of talent, but you're still talent nonetheless. Why would you need to feel any less or be any different? And if you are having to be in a space where you can't be yourself and people can't expect accept that, you know, if they feel like, oh, you dress up too much, you're wearing makeup and then at least too much. And this is who you are. And you feel like you have to condense them down. She gave, she literally said to me, then you are in the wrong space. Mm. You need to be in the space that is excited and happy because you are an extension of them and you represent them so well. And they are proud of the talent that they have. They're not trying to diminish you and make you less, but they use you amplify you in and they're out there like this, this person, this is my manager in my department. This is my publicist. This is my VP. She's great. She's talented. She says they're, they're uplifting you. And so you have to make mm-hmm. sure too, if you're ever in a space where you feel like you can't be yourself, not granted, there are certain policies. We, we all know this. We're in a business, you're in a fortune 500 company, whatever it is, there's certain aesthetics of policies that you have to adhere to. But when it comes down to you feeling like, oh, I can't dress up or I can't do this or I'm going to be perceived as this and it becomes a perception thing, I think you have to start to think that maybe I'm not in the right place for me. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. 
two more quick questions because I know we're tight on time, but what's one thing that you absolutely love about PR? What do I love about it? The power of influence. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it really does have the power to ignite excitement. It has the power to change minds. It has the power to tell an amazing story because at the end of the day, for me, I'm a storyteller. And so whatever show, whatever business, whatever I'm representing, I'm crafting a story. And so depending on how I do it, if I'm being very strategic and I figure out the best way, you know, as I write the press release, as I try to come up with a strategy, I'm trying to influence you. I'm trying to go to you as a viewer, as a consumer and figure out ways to make you be excited about something and want to watch it or want to get on board with it. And so what I I do love about it is that it has that power of influence and that I can wield that and use the skill set that I have to help navigate and tell those stories. Love it. So I have a few quick fire questions. So I'm just going to ask you these really quickly. You tell me the first thing that comes to your mind. Do you prefer a phone call or a text? Phone call. What's the best advice you've ever received that you still live by? Ooh, so many good advices. I think it, it, it's the one that I told you about earlier, that if, you know, I promote you before you're ready, not only do I do you fail, but I also fail you. So just as a leader, just wanting to be mindful of that as I navigate the world of setting somebody up, I want to make sure I'm setting them for success. I love that piece of advice. I actually wrote it down when you said yeah. it. It's yeah. amazing. It's something I've said stuck with me for a long time. What song would people be surprised that you know all the lyrics to? <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> journey. <laughs> I'm a big Journey fan. <laughs> really? <laughs> they used to play it at um, at high school dances, like middle school. I don't know why, but it was like the last, the last songs, it was always Journey and also Stairway to Heaven. Or whatever, but like I'm a big open arms and um, don't stop believing girl. <laughs> and if you could tell your 18 year old self one thing not to worry about, what would that be? Oof, girl, where were you at that point? <laughs> 18 year old self. I would say, despite what they're telling you, despite how they're making you feel, your name will eventually be on lights and they will always remember you. Oh, come on. Yes. I love you know? that. Because I've always had this thing and some of my friends know where I was like, SL and lights, SL and lights. <laughs> and for a while that light was so diminished, but now I feel like mm. I'm walking into it and I'm, thank God, Jesus, that I, I'm, I'm okay. Like, I'm okay with it. I, I, it took a long time, but I, I, whether it's physically in lights or not, but I know that I've impacted a lot of people's lives. I know I've done some really good things with my career, with my skills to help other people. And so what I always want to walk away from is that when it's all said and done, that people will say, you know what, she, she had an impact on my life and she made a difference. And that's very important to me. Mm, I love that. And I, I truly believe you, you've already done that for folks. What's next for you? I really hope it's a book in the works. That's what we're working on. <laughs> you better. I mean, honestly, you're so inspirational. 
And I feel like we probably didn't even touch on like a lot of There's stories so you could have told. We could have been here all day. <laughs> I know, but like I, I find you truly inspiring. Just I've even learned more about you today than I already knew, and I feel like I've hope you are working on a deal, a book deal. Don't self publish, Sandra. Get you a no, book deal. I um, it's <laughs> something. I mean, honestly, it's something that I, I didn't even. I, I said it in the you know when I wrote the essence thing. I've always been a writer and I've always loved writing. And even when I was younger, that was my escape. I'd write little stories. <laughs> and so it honestly wasn't until recently that I realized it was my story that I needed to tell. Yeah. Cause I do like, cra- I have, I help craft other talent brand stories. Mm-hmm. Um, that is my job, but you know, just from the way of the world and things have happened since Black Lives Matter and this pandemic and then really just tapping into what makes you happy. What, you know, what do you want to leave? What kind of impact do you want to make? Because tomorrow's not promised to anyone. Yeah. And so for me, right. that's been that I want to, I, you know, I spent a long time shying away from people wearing those glasses, sitting on the sidelines um, because I didn't want to bring too much attention to myself and also just fear of, people just judging me and, you know, I was bullied as a child because of what I looked like and my circumstance. And so it it all had quite the impact on me. But as I've been getting older and wiser, I just realized that like every single thing that has happened has happened for a reason and God has taken me places with it. And I've come into people's lives and I've helped them in certain ways. And I've talked to people and, and just even talking to a bunch of young women from different organizations who were you know, I had this one encounter with this girl who came in and I told a little bit about my, navigating my, in the industry and my story. And she followed up with me and said, thank you. And I was like, for what? And she's like, I didn't even know. And she's Haitian. And she was like, I never thought that we could be in the space that you're in. I, I didn't even know that they, that existed in PR and entertainment. She was like, you know, I, I, wow. I, I come from the old school of patient parents who want you to be doctors <laughs> and lawyers or whatever. And that's what I've been pursuing. And it's not even been what I wanted. It's what my parents wanted. But to hear you buy a one-way ticket to a place you've never been to go pursue a dream, I was like, what am I doing with my life? You know? And she was just like, and I just didn't even know that you, a woman of faith, and she's like, and you speak about your faith so openly and mm-hmm. to be in that space. And it's just everything that I needed. And that conversation made me, gave me that boost that I was like, okay, I think what I didn't understand then was that all of this has been leading up to me doing this book and, and doing a memoir and really tapping into these young women, these future leaders and and helping them navigate as much as I possibly can. So that's what my hope is. That is what I'm now praying for is that I can get an agent and I already have the proposal done. You know, I have a title, the whole thing. So we're just putting it out in the universe and trying to manifest that it'll come forth. Because I, I do think that in my worst days and the days where I thought like God had forgotten about me, I had no idea that he had big plans for me. And, or that these plans would be what we're talking to in the spaces I'm in. I could have never imagined that as, you know, a poor Haitian girl living in a two-room house with my family, that I would be where I am now. And so I, I hope to give him glory and I hope to touch other people's lives 
with the, with the book. So I hope that does come to pass. I definitely believe you will. I will definitely be purchasing that when it comes out. <laughs> and I am sure your family is extremely proud of you. I'm proud of you just even just hearing your uh-huh. story. Thank I'm inspired you. by you. And I'm sure there are countless others that are as well. So let everyone know where they can follow you and find you so they can continue to keep up with all things SL. <laughs> <laughs> you can find SL and Lights on Instagram at LaJoy Sandra. I'm also on Facebook. Um, my shenanigans. Uh, I like to do shoots. <laughs> uh, <laughs> when she puts them together, she like, puts them together. I saw We're them the of you getting off the subway. I was like, look at Sandra. Um, yes. That was, that's what my friends call shenanigans. That was like, literally <laughs> me and my friends. I'm like, we're going to do a shoot. We turn to work, but make it fashion. And they're like, okay, Sandra. <laughs> so I'm like, we're doing the subway look. So we put it together and we try to entertain, but it's always with the messaging behind it of the glory of God and what he's capable of. So Aww. thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for your time, for sharing your story. Oh, and I can't wait to see what's next for you. Of course. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. I appreciate you having this podcast and giving, creating a platform for, for our community to tell our stories and to touch other people. And, and also that you're using your, your time and me, you know, and, do this platform to, to help elevate others. I really, really appreciate that. And so thank you for being my third podcast interview. <laughs> Aww, of course. I look forward to listening to more that you're going to do because I know it's going to happen. From your mouth to God's ears. It will. It will. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Drina. Thank you.